And I really didn't really need that lesson at the time when I was working with her or for her, but I've needed it since. And it's really helped me in my 50s. I've had to forgive a lot of things in my 50s. And so that for sure is the number one lesson. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back to Rebel Souls Podcast. As always, it's so good to have you guys with me. I feel so grateful and blessed to have this community and that you guys are choosing to tune in. And it is my goal, my effort every week to not disappoint. And I've loved every one of the guests that we have so far. And I'm hoping that you guys have too. And I promise to keep them coming. I promised you a lot of badassery and I hope you agree. We've had some real badasses on the podcast so far. And today we have yet another Sally Lou Loveman. She is a new friend who's become an immediate old friend. She's an incredible soul. We are deeply connected in so many ways, which we talk about in this conversation. And we have been since the first time we met earlier this year, 2020, when both of our books were launching and through mutual friends, we were introduced and I ended up going to one of her events. And it was just one of those love connections. Love speaks, as Sally Lou says. So who's Sally Lou? If you guys don't know her yet, man, you are going to love this. So Sally Lou spent decades I think 35 years in television and many of those years slash decades working at the one and only Oprah Winfrey show here in Chicago. She was Oprah's, she had many roles, but her primary role was as Oprah's audience producer. And before I met Sally Lou, I didn't even know that there was such a thing. This is her genius, you guys. Sally Lou, as an audience producer, would kind of put all the puzzle pieces together of getting, you know, the the right, the magic combination for Oprah's audience for every single episode and every extraordinary, spectacular thing that they did from Australia to the, you know, 15,000 people in the United Center here in Chicago. Sally Lou and her team did that. They chose the audience. They connected the audience. They connected the audience with each other. And then Sally Lou would do a warm up. I mean, you guys, seriously, she's like a stand up comic. And we actually talk about the fact that that might be the next iteration of her career because she's been writing stand up comedy and she's really funny. So her book is called Speak, Love Your Story, Your Audience is Waiting. And she calls it a teaching memoir, which I love. And we get into what does that mean? And the beautiful thing about her book and this conversation is we dig into so many of the incredible stories she tells. You guys, she is 
the, she is like the ultimate storyteller and she helps us through this book to mine our own stories and learn how to speak our own stories and learn the power of doing that. She gives us all her best tips in terms of how she warmed up Oprah's audience and what she does when she's speaking for stages and she has some unexpected speaker moves that she shares with us that she uses all the time and just helps us understand how to better engage with our audiences, whether we're speaking on stages or speaking to our teams and colleagues at work, whether we're speaking to our families, whether we're speaking to our communities on social media platforms, whatever it is, she really helps us understand how we can see them, hear them, and let them know that they matter. And she is just an ace at doing this. I've learned so much in the short time that I've spent with her since January. And we got a lot of it out in this conversation. So we talk about everything under the sun, really. We just, some real talk and it really is inspiring. And she talks about what it means to show up every day like it's a show day. It's a beautiful metaphor for how she used to think about showing up on an actual show day when they were filming the Oprah Winfrey show and what she learned from working with Oprah for decades. And it doesn't disappoint. I, you know, I always get sad if I hear that somebody was, you know, a bitch or an asshole or whatever to work with. And I didn't think Oprah was and Sally Lou confirmed it. She learned some really, really inspiring lessons from Oprah that she carries into her life today. Some she talks about in the book and she shares them with us as well. And there's so much more. So with that, let's dive into our conversation with Sally Lou Loveman. I hope you love it as much as I did. Before we begin, I want to share an offering from my soul to yours. If you've achieved traditional success only to realize that you're living someone else's dream, then this will start you on a profound journey toward becoming chief soul officer of your own life, just like I did. I'm gifting you a free chapter from my book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. It's called Liberating from the Shackles of Should. And if you're ready to, then visit soulbatical.com to download it for free. That's S-O-U-L-B-B-A-T-I-C-A-L.com. Warning, side effects include intense joy and fulfillment. Hello and welcome back, Rebel Soul fam. You are on the Rebel Souls podcast, and I know I say this every time, but I have yet another incredible guest. I feel, honestly, I feel so grateful for this community, and I feel so incredibly grateful for the tribe who surrounds me and the people I'm able to pull into these conversations. And Sally Lou Loveman is one of my faves. She is, yes, 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 she's here with me today. She is a new friend who feels like an old friend because our souls are so deeply connected. And I just have to say this. I told Sally Lou before we started recording, I have to read you the list. Like you and I knew we had a lot in common. And for context for everybody who's watching this, 
we met right around earlier this year, so in 2020, right around the time that both of our books were launching. And we were introduced through mutual friends. I went to one of her events and it was like, talk about love, you stand for love, right? I'm like, it was love at first sight. So then I'm rereading your book the other day and I'm like, Okay. So we share like our role models and speaking idols are like literally right. the list is the same. You have Michelle Obama and, <laughs> and Brene and I didn't right. know your dad, but after reading your book, like I so wanted to know your dad. I and know, I want to know your dad. <laughs> I know. I know. So we'll have to talk about dads because the other thing on the list is our dads shared that they had strokes, right? Mm-hmm. And you definitely yeah. talk about your dad's yeah. Um, strokes and, and losing him in your life. We are fellow Aquarians, which I didn't even realize. I don't Did think you know I that? knew that. No. Yes. What's your birthday? I'm January, 20, I'm oh, January, January 23rd. I'm right on the cusp. Oh, what are you? Yeah. February 8th. Oh, so, so, okay. So we're literally within weeks of each other. Yes. We both believe in the power and magic of the universe. You talk about that so much in your book, which mm-hmm. we're going to dig into in this conversation. And oh my God, I feel like I, oh, and my other favorite one was that we both embrace not normal and it's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a full compliment. <laughs> normal is overrated. Normal is overrated. And I see in my book too, I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, fuck normal. Like who wants to be normal? That sounds like ordinary and we want to be extraordinary. And more importantly, we want to be us. Right. Right. right, And what does it mean even to be normal? So with all of that, I just wanted to reiterate that you're such a soul sister and I'm so honored to have you in this conversation. So thank you and welcome. I am so happy to be here. Totally feeling the same way. Need to reread your book. I read your book while I was recovering from COVID. So I'll always think of you as a healer for me, really, truly. Mm -hmm. There were certain things that I did during that time and that my soul needed. And in some crazy can I swear on your podcast? I already said fuck. So I've opened the door. Pretty sure you are the swear queen. As sick as I was, I was like, I am going to take my fucking soul for my isolation. And I was happened to be in my sister's house and I stayed in her yoga room, which is this, you know, beautiful room that's filled with good energy. And so as sick as I was, I did a lot of reading and thinking and music and, and a lot of watching wonderful inspiration speakers on Instagram. But your book really, really helped me. It really helped me. So thank you. And it, it reminded me so much of, I mean, you're a beautiful writer. So I don't want to say it reminds me of my writing, but it reminds me of the way you speak, which is the way I speak. And it's very funny. I mean, you drop so many fucking lines there. That I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I love you. I love you. Uh, well, I have to say that should, that's another thing that I want to add to the list because as I was reading your book the first and the second time, I was like, I love the way you write because the experience of you and your writing is the same as the, I experience you live in conversation. You are funny. You are sharp. You are pointed. You say it like it is and you tell an incredible story. 
Well, you, you, you and I, I know this is, and for everybody. So I want to say this, cause I know we're going to get into this and then I want to ask you my signature question, but just yeah. so I don't forget for those of you who are watching Bye, this, I want to show you Sally Lou's book. And by the way, <laughs> never call her Sally. It's Sally Lou. I'm going to say that yes, for you. True. I'm going to say that true. for you. If you're a friend, call her Sally Lou or Luli. If you I know learned. me that way. Yeah. yeah, Luli. yeah Luli. I love yeah. that. So her, yeah. her book is called Speak, Love Your Story, Your Audience is Waiting. And you guys, what there's so many things I love about this. So I'm going to pause there because we're going to get into this. I have okay. I'm Sally Lou that I have like a million notes in the back for anybody. I, who I love you. Like, I love you. You designed this to be a teaching memoir. And I just got so many beautiful nuggets and ideas and inspiration out of it. So job well done. Mission accomplished. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, again, I, I don't even have your book. It's upstairs in my, on, my, on my bedside table. I took the same notes. I literally, with all your bullet points and all of your questions and prompts. So our books really did feel very similar because we used our lives, which are far from perfect, kind of funny, also awesome, and some heartbreak. But we used it to design a platform for someone who may just be interested in doing a part or a piece of what we're suggesting. And if that lands on someone in a way that makes their life better, then that's the purpose, right? And just like yours and, and just like your book, like I just, when it lands on someone's heart, like you're just telling me now, then mm -hmm. that's the purpose. You know, like my grandfather and your grandfather didn't drive the same car, but they drove a car. So when I talk about my grandfather driving his Lincoln Continental, that's going to stir up your memories of your grandfather. And, you know, fill in the blank. It could be your mother, your sister, your, your old boyfriend from high school, who I totally <laughs> want to know. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we'll we're going to dig into that another day because this is all about you, my friend. I'm so excited to chat about this. So the question, so you know, my signature question is, what are you rebelling for? And I want to start this by asking Sally Lou, what are you rebelling for? Well, I am just rebelling for people to be who they are, stand up for who they are, do what they love, own their talent, like own it and say, I am good at this. And I can help you with it. Because I think when we own our talent, we are ourselves, right? We are, like we said earlier, what is normal? Normal is nothing. Like normal doesn't even mean anything. Normal is whatever it feels good for you. So if you are being true to yourself, true to your purpose, true to who you are, and not worrying about what people are saying in the office or what people are saying online or on your social account, it just, it's a rebel for saying, accept who you are, Take all the goodness that you have, because you have a lot of bad too. We all do. We, not you, you, plural. Mm. Yeah, we, we all have a lot of bad. Yes. But take what you have that's good and make it so that that is what you're focused on and offer it to others. And then when you're doing the thing that you're good at and that you love, you're not scared. You're not scared to do more and do others, which is why I always say fear, you know, has no access when we're in our purpose. So I just, I'm reveling for people to not wait until they're 50, 55, 60 to say, I am so good with who I am. Not to say that we can't improve because trust me, I'm improving every day. But to be able, I, I'm just reveling for the fact that we are born this way. You know, we are who we are. We didn't choose it. It came to us, right? So let the environment help and nurture what it is that we were born with. 
and welcome others who are not normal, right? I, I, I mean, the fact that you speak like me and I speak like you, that's great because we're in alignment, but I like you even more because you do things differently than me. Like I, I just say welcome in different people into your life to make your life more rich and full and remind you that we've all got a reason that we're here and a purpose that we've been blessed with. I love it. And can I just want to repeat your your famous line and one that has never left me from the first time you said it. You just said it again. Fear has no access when you're in your purpose. Yeah. Oh my God, you guys, do not forget that line. Write it down because it's so powerful. And, it, and, and people will be like, well, what does that exactly mean? Well, when you're in your purpose and you're doing something that you know you are absolutely so good at that you don't worry about it. So there are a lot of people that are scared to speak in public, public speaking. It's the one of the number one fears. So I get that. But if you are doing something that's purposeful, like if you're speaking about something that you really understand and that you really are a master at knowing everything about, and and then if you read my book and get the all the tips on how to connect with your audience and not have fear, then you're not, you're not as fearful. You know, when you know and you accept that your talent is that you are supposed to be there for a reason because you have, you know, everything there is to say about the subject that you're speaking about, then you have, you've, you've eliminated fear. I also like distraction because while we're also staying in our purpose, distraction's really great because when I sat the Oprah Winfrey show audience, I was so distracted with all of that, all of, welcoming people, taking care of people, all the customer service that took. And then the production piece, which was, you know, meeting all of the production criteria that the that the set required and that the producers required and that the director required, that I forgot that I'd be speaking in front of them on the stage. So I was so distracted and busy with my work that I forgot that I'd be speaking with them. So I wasn't scared. And I also really believe that if you fill your day prior to doing something that you're really nervous about with something that things that distract you in good ways, having a good conversation with a friend, you know, calling someone who makes you laugh, scheduling a meeting that you know will go well, going for a run, meditating, whatever it is that gives you that feeling of who you are and reminds you that you're going to be okay no matter what, that will help you when you are doing something that you are scared of. And, and I'll just end with this piece of it is like, I'm scared to fly. And I write all about it in my, in my book about it, how I'm terrified to fly. And I still am. But if I'm speaking on a plane, which I've been hired to do, or writing on a plane or talking and having a great conversation with someone on a plane, I'm less fearful because I'm in my purpose. I love that. And it makes complete sense. And everybody soaked that in. I have to say, when I read that bit about you speaking on the plane and I saw that picture in your book, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I absolutely want Sally Lou like talking me through my next flight. I don't have a fear of flying, but I'm like that. I just find flying like it's boring. It's annoying. It's, you know, it's just the, the how do I get from point A to point B? But I was like, that would be joyful. That would totally make me feel alive to have you at the head of the plane. Well, it, it was it was pretty funny. I, I will tell you that they I was speaking on behalf of a of an airline for their mileage plus customers, and it was a chartered flight. And they again, I got the gig through one of my amazing friends through Harpo through the Oprah Winfrey Show, and they the whole flight crew had to tell me to sit down and buckle up because we were literally in the air. We had already taken off. 
They're like, what are you doing? You need to be sitting down. I'm like, what? I'm normally in the fetal position. I was so distracted with my purpose that I had no idea we were taking off. I love so, it. That is, yeah. it's a powerful metaphor for how we can it feel is a metaphor. that connected to what we're doing. So I want to take a huge step back because in, in the introduction, I clearly told everybody that you are, you spent decades in television and specifically yes. with one of the most famous shows on television, the Oprah Winfrey show. And we already talked about it. Oprah is like one of my idols, role models, and you got to work alongside her for decades. And you were what they call an audience producer. And, and that's like, I mean, that's you in your zone of genius. That's you in your purpose. But I want to take a step even further back because you tell this brilliant story in your book about how you said yes to an invitation from your mother that led, that sparked this dream that became a reality that the universe kind of unfolded for you. Can you take us through some of that? Yeah, well, I, I, it's one of my big mantras. Say yes to invitations from your mother or anyone who loves or likes you. Now, we can't always say yes to everything. Our schedules are tight. I get that. But if the invitation is coming from someone who loves you, it's usually, you know, something that's wonderful. And if it's something that's out of your comfort zone, that's when like the bells and whistles should be ringing. Like, okay, I so don't want to do that. But the fact that I don't want to do it is why I should be doing it. So that's what happened to me at 14. I could have said no, but my mom got these tickets to the Mike Douglas show, which was filmed in my hometown of Philadelphia. And I said, yes, I went. And it was immediate. As soon as I sat in the studio audience and I spotted a girl on the set with a clipboard, I was like, that's what I want to do. Now, I didn't know what she did, but she had a headset. She had you know, the clipboard, the whole thing. She was busy. She was a woman, right? So it was 1976. And I'm like, I want to do that. And from that moment on, I was a pretty shy kid. I mean, I was, I had a lot of friends. I was pretty popular. I had no violins out for me, but I was pretty shy. But that was when I was like, I found my purpose. Then fast forward, I get hired at the Oprah Winfrey show and someone as the audience coordinator and someone unexpectedly hands me a microphone a producer, a crew member. I don't really remember. I say a producer. I don't really remember. And they told me to warm up the studio audience. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And I didn't know what it really meant. So I just used my heart and I used audience to tell the story of why they were there. And that is what, that's really what the show was about. The show was about stories from brave people like you and me telling their stories about things that are hard, things that are joyful whatever it is. So when those stories landed on viewers' hearts, we pulled in, we watched, we connected, we called our girlfriends, we called our mothers. That's what we did in the studio audience. So before the show even was on, you know, before the audience ever saw Oprah or the show, we had our own moment. And I think that if I could say the, the one thing I added to the show, because it certainly didn't need anything more because it was... Mm you know, this iconic, wonderful show hosted by Oprah Winfrey. I mean, come on, there's only one. But what I, I think I like to say that I added is that I don't know that there are other talk shows out there where the audiences are connected with each other. They're connected maybe to the host, but these audiences were connected to each other and the person that they brought with them. Because you couldn't just take 
anyone to Oprah. You took, you know, your top person in life. So we we did that on purpose and it was it it really was a storytelling hour. Really was it was. I mean, yeah, we did a lot of dance parties and we did a lot of fun and we did a lot of surprises and we gave things away even in the studio pre-show audience warm-up. But it was really about people getting to know each other. And I've always been fascinated by story. Even as a little girl, I, I hung out with my grandparents more at just so that I could hear their stories with their friends. You know, I had an option to go sit in my car with my mom as she drove my older sisters around on the weekends. But I loved hearing the stories that my grandparents and their friends told. And then having worked at Oprah, having that front row seat to these the most incredible stories told ever, I just saw what story does. It's like our superpower. It's ours. It's gold. We all sit on a pot of gold, which is our story. And when we speak our story, we help others. We help ourselves because we're connecting with others. And we help others because like I said, your grandfather might've not driven a Lincoln Continental, but he drove something and that's going to land on your heart. And especially with topics that are tough to talk about, you know, I mean, that's really where people lean in. Those stories connect and inspire, right? I, I found the more vulnerable I get in my telling of a story, the more deeply I'm connecting with another human being who sees exactly. themselves in my story. And I witnessed you doing this so beautifully as you engaged with the audience in the event that I sat in. And I can only imagine what it was like interacting with all of those people in the Oprah Winfrey audience. Yeah, I, I jokingly say, I, I, when I, I was like, should I write a book or should I become a psychologist? I don't know. Let me think. And I always, in my house, I always pretend, well, I, I, you know, I am a psychologist, obviously. Like, and I do a lot of therapy. I uh, haven't been in a while because of COVID and I really need to get back. But, you know, and sometimes my therapist will be like, okay, I'm the therapist, Sally Lou. I'm like, <laughs> really? Because I worked 20 years at the Oprah Winfrey Show. I think I'm a therapist. But it is true. The stories really are healing. I did a whole workshop called Speak It, Write It, Heal It. And it, the amazing amounts of healing that I watched people do just through the fact that they were writing and speaking their story, it, it's the greatest gift you can, like, like on Mother's Day or a birthday for your mother or a sister or a friend. Instead of giving them something, I always say, call them. Say. I would like an hour of your time and I want you to tell me your story. Mm. Like what a beautiful gift. It's you're giving a gift of time. You're giving a gift of listening and you learn so much because you can't ask when they're gone. You can't ask. That's so, so right. Have those stories, storytelling time, storytelling hour while we're all here and don't wait. Don't wait for it. Like for instance, my, my, I'm so angry at myself right now. I'm, Three days ago, I lost my father-in-law and I, he's been meditating for years and years, long before we all were meditating. And we always joked with each other, like, I'll tell you your mantra. I'll tell you my mantra if you tell me yours. And we never told each other our mantras because in transcendental meditation, you're not allowed. But I'm so mad that I didn't ask him in like the last mm. final hours because I don't know why. I just want to know what his mantra was. Like, that's like so special. And I think he would have told me. It's part of his story, right? It's part of his yeah. story. And I forgot. I forgot that part. So those are the things I'm saying. It's like, you know, you just got to really have those conversations when you're thinking about it, not when it's too late. 
I love that. Well, I, I'm sending so much love and light to your whole Thank family you. too for that for Thank that you. loss. And I love I love the point, right? The point is so powerful. And I love this idea of experiences, right? Tell me your story. Let me listen deeply. Let me learn from and connect through that story. We think I just think there's so much materiality to how we think about birthdays and holidays and all of these things. But what if we create more of that experience and that connection? So it's a beautiful idea. Yeah, it, it really, it, it is, it is a, it's a gift that keeps on giving, that is for sure. And yeah. as we find ourselves in these extraordinary times of uh, loss and a lot of hatred, a lot of fear, a lot of, I mean, as we go into the election season, as we are, you know, dealing with COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter and, and me too. I mean, all of it, like if we could tell stories and have the time, like if corporations, I mean, talk about reveling, if corporate America allowed for story time, literally like your team meeting, okay, Shelly, tell me your story. You know, I mean, there's gotta be guidelines, obviously. Not therapy. It's just, you get to know each other more. You are invested in each other when you know more of each other. You're efficient because the more you know each other, the more you're able to take those cues and understand what's happening within your team. It's just, it's a very powerful, powerful tool that I think we oftentimes miss using. And I think if anything, the message from my book is your audience is waiting, Yeah. right? Because don't, it, just because you think your story, you know, maybe you aren't, you know, an executive at Harley Davidson, or maybe you aren't, didn't work at the Oprah Winfrey show, or maybe whatever, maybe you think your story's boring or, or, or it's too painful to tell. Every single person has a story that is so powerful. And listen, Oprah has this amazing quote that I use in my book that, you know, it's like, everyone has a platform. That is your platform. That is your talk show. That is your circle of influence. And so if everyone owns that and realizes that they have the power to help others, and when you're helping others, you're in service, you're, you're helping yourself. And oftentimes we all need a lot of healing. And certainly if we can hear others, we're on that road. One of my favorite phrases that just popped up as you were saying that is our pain is our purpose. And I think finding and connecting to some of the pain in our story and the joy in our story and just the overall humanity in our story. It's one of the reasons I love how you architected this book. So, so this is what I was almost saying at the beginning and I wanted to save it, but the idea, you call it a teaching memoir. And what's so powerful is, and I'm saying this for everybody listening and watching, as you're reading through Sally Lou's story as stories and her experiences, she's basically coaching us through how to mine for our own stories and how to start bringing those out so we can own them and walk in them and speak them. So that's what makes your book really unique. It's, it's yes, it's a memoir, and you're giving us the biggest gift by helping us do this for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think any memoir is a teaching moment, obviously, because a story is out there to help others, like I just went on and on about. That's the point of a story. But it was my god sister, Amy McCarter, who designed, who art directed the book. I self-published, but... I hired her to art direct the book because our fathers are were best friends. He was my godfather and my father was her godfather. And she's 
incredibly talented graphic art designer and brand. And she's, she called it a teaching memoir on the first copy. She's like, I, I want it to be a teaching memoir. And I was like, ooh, can we call it that? And she's like, absolutely. And so thank you. I, I give credit to her for that. But it was, it was really, I put it together like a puzzle. And I, I'd love to know how you did yours. But I was writing my book in my computer, in my phone, on scraps of paper, in notebooks, all of these different places. And then when I finally decided to actually do something about it, I printed it all out, which I know is awful. And then I did do some copy and pasting, but I put it together like a puzzle. And I think if anyone listening has, again, I'm not asking anyone listening to write a book. I'm asking anyone listening to write their story so that they can keep it for themselves and share it with whoever you want. But if you're worried about, oh, I don't know where to begin, or I don't know how it would flow, just write. It's, the, it's such a gift to give yourself to just sit and write. I mean, that's why people journal. But if you just start to write, then if you really want it to go somewhere, like an article, a blog, a book, or something to be shared with your family, then put it together and see where it takes you. Just let the writing happen. Mm, I love that guidance. Just let the writing happen. I think not worrying about where it's going to go, how it's going to show up in the world, that's all a choice you make. But getting it out of you, I found I had more appreciation for my story as I continued to mine it and let it out of me and started to see it take shape. And there were so many meta learnings and there was a lot of meta healing that happened as a result of writing the book. Yes, totally. I mean, I don't know about you, but okay, we're first time, you're a first time author, correct? Mm -hmm. And the way your whole book up published and all that is such an incredible story. Talk about the universe. Wow. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. But I just, I, I think as a first time author, I miss my book. If that makes sense. Like I, I literally miss writing because when I was writing, I was so connected with my story that I felt so connected with who I am. And I was so connected with all the people that I was writing about who I've lost. So I, I will say that if anyone has lost someone who's listening, I'm telling you, if you write about them, it's like they're sitting right next to you. Mm, it's so absolutely true. And that bit that you said about being connected with, uh, connected with ourselves, I'm flipping to this other quote that you wrote from Oprah in the book. I love this quote. And I use this in one of my, um, I call them so solosodes, my solo episodes. <laughs> You said Oprah said this was based on off of something from Gary Zukoff's book, which is one of my favorites. And this is so, I mean, I talk about connecting to ourselves first. Like our world has to be from the inside out. That's where our strength and our stability comes from. And his quote was, when the personality comes to serve the energy of the soul, that is authentic power. And then you write, Oprah went on to say, when we find a way to use our personality to serve what our soul actually came here to do, that is when our connection to ourselves is unstoppable. Oh, I hit rewind like 20 times. I was like, oh my God, rewind. Oh my God. Because I was listening to, it was the Oprah Deepak Chopra 21 day meditation. And I'm like, oh my God, she just described me. And she described anyone who's, you know, who's in tune with all of that. But talk about hitting the nail on the head. I was like, that's exactly what 
I have done with my career. I have used my personality to serve my purpose because my purpose was I wanted to help people like my dad, who was a doctor. I just couldn't be a doctor. Not smart enough, not brave enough, no interest. The environment does not suck me in and please any one of my senses except for team. So I, I, that Oprah show was my way to, you know, my, yes, my mom introduced me to the environment, which was awesome. So saying yes to her invitation was huge, but seeing my dad at work, it was like, oh, that's, I want to be part of that because he, he was like a rock star. He knew everybody and everybody was, you know, wanting to know from him. And he, he made sure everybody felt seen and heard. I mean, he was Oprah before I learned who Oprah Winfrey obviously uh. even was. This was so long ago. So, so it felt natural to me. And I, I, I just, whatever. I, I, Gary Zukoff is a god. We had him on the show so many times. And that quote that he has that then Oprah made even stronger is something I live by. It's yeah. literally my, it's my breath. It's my air. I have a dog-eared copy of that book, The Seed of the Soul, and I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes because if there's anybody who's listening or watching who has not read this book, I would even say reread it if you have. It is so powerful. Like to me, it's like a cornerstone. It is a touchstone. and It really is. It's so incredibly powerful. So I want to get into so much of what you wrote in the book, but I'd be remiss just because we're talking about Oprah at this very moment to say what, like, she sounds like the most amazing boss. And one of the tidbits that I wrote down that was honestly a reminder for myself, you said that Oprah wrote personal handwritten thank you notes to every producer after every episode. And I was like, holy shit, the gratitude. This woman doesn't just speak gratitude. She lives gratitude. And so I'm so curious, like maybe you want to comment on that example, but what else were like, what were the big things that you really learned from her that you took away and applied in your own life? Well, first of all, number one, yes, gratitude. But even before gratitude, forgiveness, she really taught through her shows and through her voice and through the stories that she told that forgiveness is not about, you know, forgiving and saying what the other, what the person did was right. It's about setting your soul free and not being prisoner to that pain. And I really didn't really need that lesson at the time when I was working with her or for her, but I've needed it since. And it's really helped me in my 50s. I've had to forgive a lot of things in my 50s. And so that for sure is the number one lesson. She was the kind of boss that she would literally, no matter if you were in a small meeting with her, a huge studio meeting of the whole company, she just made you feel so important and seen. And her words, like they would give me chills every single time. And whether I'd heard the story before or not, I'd been there since 1987. So I've heard a lot of the stories, like someone, you know, my family's heard all of my stories. They're like, oh, well, for me, anytime she told a story, I, I had chills all over. And I used to think, who gets to have this moment where you are so inspired by this woman who happens to be one of the world's, you know, greatest leaders. So that part was never lost on me. Mm. So it was a combination of, wow, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do since I was 14. And I'm doing it with a woman who's changing the planet. So it was really like, I felt selfish going to work in the morning, leaving my kids and 
My husband was taking care of them and getting them off to school. In the end, my kids benefited from my career because they thought it was super cool. And I, I, I think, you know, today they wish that I still worked for her. I still wish I worked for her, but she doesn't have the kind of job of it, you know, that, that would work for me. And so that, that is using my niche. And I remember when she said on the 25th season, we did the behind the scenes on own and of the, our 25th season. And she said something like Sally Lou, she's had a lot of jobs here, but she really found her sweet spot with that audience job. And it's true. I just wanted to be the girl with the clipboard in the studio with people and being on a stage, being funny, corralling the group, connecting the group and spreading love. That's all really what I wanted to do. And oh, by the way, work in television. And that is what you do now. That's what's so beautiful about this book and about your work in the world and, you know, about the platform and community that you've built is now you're taking it beyond the Oprah Winfrey show and from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes. And you, what you just said reminded me, I wrote down in these million notes that I have, I wrote down, treat every day like it's show day. And it just yes. struck me as such a yes. powerful metaphor. So can you explain to everyone listening and watching, like, what does that really mean? And like, what are the key elements to that? Yeah. Well, show day is for me in a television studio, but show day could be for anyone, wherever their purpose is. So show day is when you are ready, you are prepared, you are excited, and you are going to transform lives. So it could be you're in surgery, you know, you could be you're graduating from your MBA. It could be that you've got this kick-ass meeting or you're doing your podcast or whatever it is. Show day is when you are doing everything in your power to stay in your purpose and, and others will benefit from it. Whew. So, but like for me, show day literally was a television show where we transform lives. And I would walk up the stairs at 6.30 in the morning, the marble staircase at Harpo Studios. and not everybody would be in, like the crew would be in, but it wasn't a busy, bustling time. It would soon change a few hours later, but I had to get in early because we had to check in the audience. And I would, as soon as I hit those stairs and it was show day, I would smell Oprah's hairspray and flat iron. And that combination was this like, because you'd go right by her office. And I, I just was like, oh, if she was in the house, it meant it was show day. I mean, she was in the house when we weren't taping, but if we were taping and she was getting her hair done, I'm like, yes, you know? And th so that smell just, it's fuel for me. I love it. And it's such a game on thing. And I say this, I what I love about that is, okay, so we don't work on the Oprah Winfrey show, but we work on our lives and every day is show day and we need to show up for ourselves and show up for others. And I say one of my missions, actually, I was just talking about this in one of my solo episodes. I'm like, for me, it's showing up every day in my truth and in my purpose. And, I, and as soon as I read that line, I'm like, oh, that's what that means. That's showing up every day, like, right? Yeah, showing up. I mean, listen, when you're on the way, I, I remember cranking the music at the, you know, some great song, whatever the song would be, going downtown and driving and looking at the skyline. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, you just have to give yourself a little applause every once in a while when you are doing exactly what you were meant to do. And if you're not, because it is, it is a luxury. People, people there's so many people listening and people out there who can't do what they love because it doesn't pay the bills. I get it. It's, it was, to me, 
you know, of course, it was a luxury to be able to figure out what I loved and then get paid pretty well for it. So I get that. But if you're, if you're stuck and you don't know what it is that is your purpose, because purpose is a big lofty word, and you want to feel good about yourself showing up every day and feel that show day feeling, first of all, own your talent, like we talked about earlier. Use your talent in service of others. And when someone gives you a compliment repeatedly, many people give you compliments repeatedly, that is your hack of knowing what you're good at. So whatever that compliment is, that's what you should be doing 90% of your day. So if you can figure out a way that whatever you, your compliment is, your talent, to make a living out of that, you're going to feel show day like all the time. Like it's, you're going to be on a high. You're going to be on such a high. I'm sure doctors feel that way. Lawyers feel that way. In, um, influencers feel that way. There, I mean, Broadway actors, all of it. There, there's, you know, artists, all of it. But you don't have to be at the top of the game to feel show day. You can be anywhere you want as long as you are doing what you are really talented and born to do. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Boom. Boom. I Boom. think that's so powerful. <laughs> and like you, and like you say, and doing more of the things that please all of your senses in environments that light you up. You guys, we have choices. I get it. You're right. Not everybody has the blessings and the good fortune and the privilege that we've had. And at the same time, we do have choice. When we stay in places that suck our souls and that drain our energy and that are toxic, we have choices to say, I'm going to go somewhere else. So start paying attention to what pleases your senses. Start paying attention to environments that light you up. And I love that hack that you just gave us. All of those things should start be like breadcrumbs that lead us closer to our passion and our purpose. Right. Exactly. I mean, smells are really, I think women in general, I mean, smells always trigger memories. And for women, specifically over men, women have a, a greater sense of smell. But if you live in Chicago and you smell the bloomer factory, the chocolate yes. and wafting in the summer, I'm like, oh, when I was 22 or 25, you know, it just reminds me of my youth, the, the hairspray and the, the, and, and the flat iron reminds me of my work purpose. And, you know, like anything, like sunscreen reminds me of my babies at the beach. It's like these memories that make you happy are, you know, the, the smells, the sounds, the tastes, the, the feels, those things make sense, like literally make sense. So I, I always ask people to really look at that and say, okay, take me to where that environment is so that that's where I can be. Like one of my favorite things, and I just did release a podcast with my friend, Henry Hardevelt, who is a travel advice, uh, travel analyst. And he talks about when he was a kid, like he loved the smell of jet fuel and he loved playing with and making model airplanes. Well, now he's, you know, one of the leading travel analysts. So it doesn't, it's, it's all another hack to find the career that makes sense is really examine what environment pleases you and what sense in that environment please you. And so much of that too is both your story at the age of 14, his, you know, as a younger kid, like what really fired you up as a kid? What could you spend endless hours doing? What did you dream about? There's often a little clue in that as well. I talk about that in my book too. Yeah, I forget. But did you do storytelling when you were a kid? Because I definitely did. Yeah, yeah. 
did you, I mean, were you the person that was always interviewing people and I liked to tell, I probably did more of like the campfire story sort of thing, but yeah. And I, I liked my whole thing was imaginary world. So Legos were my favorite toy. So I would build like these extraordinary houses in these little cities and towns. And then I would create stories around them. Okay. That's freaky because of your love for travel. Yeah. I know. That's so cool. Yeah. And my love for architecture and design, right? Like all of it is sort of coming to fruition. Yeah. But I really, what really just hit me in that and knowing your book, just that you, you really set out at 25, I think it was to say, I am going to take a chance and I'm going to go use my business to travel the world of all those cities that you built when you were a kid and you had this curiosity and you went and did it. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. It is. This is when, like, there were so many full circle moments in your book too. So I want to, I, you and I could probably fill four hours, if not more. And, and I want to do this multiple times that there are a few things I want to dig into because your zone of genius and you being able to kind of deconstruct it and share with people, like, what does it mean to engage an audience? You know, what does it look like you call these unexpected speaker moves, which I thought were so cool. So, so, many of us who, you know, myself included and people who are listening, we have, you know, we're growing our own communities. We're speaking on stages or we're speaking in front of people, our teams at work. We're, we're speaking in all aspects of our lives. So I wanted to give you some time to also talk about like, what does it really mean to engage an audience? You had some great advice around that. And then I want you to share some of your unexpected speaker moves where I was like, boom, I am doing that next time. By the way, we have to talk about TEDx too, because I also got rejected. And I was like, oh Oh, my God, that's another thing we have in common. Uh, That's crazy. I'm like, wait, why can I... Why is it possible that I didn't get that? But anyway, you know, whatever. A lot of no's. I get a lot of no's. And that's okay. A lot of no's. But I get some yeses. So that's good. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter the size of your audience. It matters that they showed up to hear from you. Yes. So I always really appreciate what whoever it is that is on an Instagram live that I do or on or takes time to read a post that I do or listens to my podcast. It's just, I know I'm hitting So that's good. Like to grow it out to be like, you know, crazy successful may or may never happen. It's not really my goal. My goal is just to stay in a place where I'm continuously making other people's lives better. And that was really my goal at the Oprah show. It's still my goal. So anyway, okay. So engaging an audience, the most important thing about engaging an audience is getting to know them And like I said, before you speak, and like I said earlier, letting them get to know each other. So I call it the mingle. And so whenever anyone has an opportunity to speak, whether it is to your team, to your boss, that's a little different, or a keynote, wherever you are, a presentation, get there early and get in there and engage your audience. I call it a warm up. That's what I did for Oprah. But you have to warm up your audience and that helps you warm up before you speak because the better the audience, the better the speaker. So if the audience is already invested in you because you've talked to them earlier and they're now invested in each other because you're now connecting them, your your speaking is going to be like way better than anyone ever expected. So I always say that's a huge, powerful move to always engage your audience by getting to know them first. And then when you're speaking, the cool part is, is 
because you've engaged your audience, you remember things and conversations that you've had, maybe their names even, and you can incorporate and weave that through when it's appropriate for what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden people are like, wait, she just said my name. Oh my God. And then it's a conversation. And again, as a speaker, you have a certain amount of time. I get that. But if you can just weave in a few little nuggets of things that you learned during your mingle, that makes you a very memorable speaker. And the audience will never remember what you said. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And when you reach through that wall, that speaker wall, and you, you know, for me, I always was in the audience. I like to speak from the audience. I like to be with the people on the field, on the team. So when you can break that barrier, that wall, that's an unexpected speaker move. That is when you are now inviting and engaging your audience into your own speech. Now you are still the, you know, the pilot of your speech, but you get to decide how you can include the room. And it's just a, you know, clearly Oprah did that, but I sort of learned that piece on my own from doing the warm up for years at the Oprah Winfrey show. And when I ran out stuff to say, or I lost way, I would engage the audience and they'd help me get back on track. They didn't know I was doing that, but it was a really great, like kind of speaker backup safety net. It was really a safety net. So no matter what, whether your audience is big or small, get to know them first. I love that. I love that. And what I wrote down from your book in addition, and you've, you've basically said this and it sounded like that beautiful Maya Angelou quote, sorry, Maya Angelou quote, which is like, people will never remember what you said to them. They'll always remember how you made them feel. And it's the same for audiences. And I wrote down, let them know they matter, make them feel seen and heard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whew. And we forget about that. Yeah, I learned that from my dad. I learned that from Oprah. It was kind of innate innate in me. I don't think I learned it from Oprah. I think I was, it just helped. She nurtured it in me because that's her platform. That is what she does. And that's what I did in the audience. You know, I've worked for other television shows since then, mostly pilots or startups where I come in and consult or come in and help with the pilot. So I'm not there for the whole time. But the interesting thing is that for the other television shows that I've worked on, nobody has a warm-up person like me. In fact, they don't even know what to do with me. They've tried me. They're like, <laughs> what? And, you know, the show's like the, the formula of stand-up comedy dude. I don't. It's not, my, it's not at all what I think is right. Maybe for, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, but, but not for a talk show where you've got like, you know, real topics and real people coming and building that community. So I think that was just a once in a lifetime moment that first of all, the show itself could have, you know, it could never happen again. It happened at the right time. It happened, you know, prior to so much else out there, prior to obviously, you know, all of the social media and, you know, the human known as Oprah Winfrey. So it, it just, it could only happen once. And I just, love that I had an opportunity to use her stage to allow myself to uh, really get to the core of what really uh, inspires me and is my purpose. Her stage was you living your purpose. It was so, so powerful. And I have to say, so there were two times when I was reading your book that I cried. 
One obviously was reading about your dad and having the stroke and then losing him. And the other one, I know you may not know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to read you the quote. I think it was the title of a chapter and a quote in the book. Will people even like me when the show is over? Mm -hmm. I know I could weep struck me so deeply because as you know, I talk about that in my book too, where it's like, suddenly I'm not associated with Harley freaking Davidson anymore. Suddenly I don't represent this iconic global brand. You represented an iconic global brand as well. And we were people kind of making it all work in the background and my phone didn't ring and suddenly things got really quiet and you talk about that. And I was like, Oh, I got chills. I cried and I had to take a deep breath because it brought back a lot of that pain. Well, I want to thank you because when we did during the pandemic, not that the pandemic is over, but during the the really height of it and when I was sick and in isolation, we did a speak session with Mm. you and Cheryl and some other women. It was very healing for me, actually. Oh, maybe it was when I just did it with you. You said to me, I said to you something like, well, we used to work for these iconic brands, Oprah and Harley. And you said, we are iconic brands or something like that. Like, no, Sally Lou, you corrected me. You're like, we have our own brands now. And I was like, damn right we do. You know, it's like, thank you. And I I really welcomed that. And it really stayed with me because it's, yeah, it's great that we worked for these iconic brands. And it's, it's really great that we can be bold enough, brave enough and rebellious enough to say, you know, I'm going to try this act on my own and see how I do. Amen. Yes. This thing I always say to people, because it's the question I asked for myself when I was like in the middle of the mess, I was like, what if Shelly Paxton is the most iconic brand you could ever represent? So Shelly <laughs> Lovin is How cool is that? Brand, right. Shelly Paxton <laughs> is an iconic brand. And we are creating those brands one step at a time. And there's another thing. It's funny. These, these two things just popped out at me. And you said before, it's like, you know what? I got a lot of no's. And you talk about how that makes you hungrier for the yeses. And guess what? If we don't get all the yeses, then it's up to us to create them for ourselves. And that is exactly go. what you and I are doing. Your quote was, if we are the yeses we want, we have to create our own. And it sounds like, was that your impetus to write the book and get this out into the world? And Yes. And it's create your own content. You know, if TEDx doesn't want me, somebody else will, right? So, and maybe one day TEDx will, who knows? But I, I didn't want to, I was getting no's and, and for various things, for television jobs, for speaking jobs for whatever it was. And, you know, I was like, I know what I have. I know the gift that I have. It's not for everybody, but for those of who it's for, there's going to be appreciation. And so women, I, I say women because I'm a woman and I surround myself mostly with women need to create their own content when they are not getting the yeses that they want. Now, you might not be able to quit your job and create a brand and launch it, but you can start slowly. And I think when I was so excited when you announced that you were doing your podcast, because I think that you are born to do this. I feel the same way about my conversations. And so I think that if you have a platform and there are plenty out there, there are too many out there, no one could ever listen to all of them. 
but someone is going to listen to you and someone's going to listen to me. And maybe those someones will multiply. Who knows? I pray that they do. We have to create our own content. And that, that is 100% why I wrote the book. Now, I didn't expect a pandemic and nor did you. <laughs> nope. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What? I just wrote a book. Why? Yeah. So it kind of brought everything to a screeching halt. I will say, and I think we've discussed this, around March when this all was happening and I had a full calendar through July, I'm sure you're the same, I started to think, how was I ever going to do that? Like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to be exhausted. So I guess there was, there's always that silver lining. It made us all slow down. I've completely and utterly, and I literally have been talking about this so much and I just heard Oprah say it. I don't know if I heard her say it, if I read it but I am loving the introvert in me. Like all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, I did not know that I liked being quiet and alone so much until this pandemic. So strange. And I think this is that, like I talk a lot about, you know, every crisis comes to teach us something. And I think that is one of the many gifts individually and collectively, the slowing down, the figuring out what really matters, the reconnecting with ourselves in the stillness and the quiet. A lot of us haven't had that for a long time because we're a culture that's addicted to busy. And I'm as guilty as anybody else is. And I, oh, I kind of- you, Your whole book is about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you are, it, and and then your whole the the whole atmosphere, same environment at Harpo it was like if you weren't busy, you weren't producing. If you weren't <laughs> producing, you were nothing. It was like, come on, like you know, we would brag about who didn't, who hasn't slept in twenty four hours. So uh, yeah, it, it yeah, I, I get it. And you were jumping on airplanes, and we were, you know, never. It, it's just it. It's great. It's fun. It's sexy. But at some point, it gets real old and you get real tired. Like I said, I think being in the, my 50th decade, soon to be 60, I can't even believe when I say that. And I just believe that we don't and shouldn't have to wait until we're right in the middle of our life to make all of these discoveries, even though I guess it's part of the process and the learning. But I would love to talk to my 30-year-old self and tell her many, many things. I think 30 is a, uh, 40 is my favorite age, but I think 30 is, is a really interesting, wonderful decade because you're really young still and you're just trying to figure it all out. And I, I would have done things a, a lot differently, but gosh, I, I just, I really believe so strongly that we shouldn't have to wait until we break to get, to open ourselves up. Stay open. Amen to that. That sounds like the best advice that you can give your 40, 30, 50, 60-year-old yeah. self, right? Yeah. And maybe by staying open, you can avoid some of the, the heartaches and the pain because you're open and maybe that, you know, some of that will, uh, you'll be able to avoid some of that stuff or, or you know, take a different direction. I don't know. I, I, I Obviously, life, like we said, the universe is in charge. We are just listening to her. I love that you call her her. Yeah. I love that. And she surprises us sometimes. And then there are other times where you're just like, oh, I totally saw that coming. And I so get it now. You know, so it's very cool to be in sync with that kind of thing. And I think the more we, like we started with, what are you reveling for, Sally Lou? I'm reveling for people to just own who they are and be happy with that. And I think when the universe is speaking to us and we hear it, that's when we know we really know who we are. Yes. 
So one last thing I want to ask you, because I literally can't get through this conversation without asking you this. So you talk about the fact that you've got a stand-up comedy act so that you love your, you love stand-up comedy. Now I wasn't clear. Have you done it? Are you like out there? I mean, I get COVID's happening, but like, is that out there? Like, can we actually see this? Cause I'm dying. I love that you said, <laughs> maybe it's a gift that I wrote the stand-up comic act, you know, instead of the Ted talk. Cause I can say it's a lot more on stage. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't say fuck on a test. You are so stage. fucking, you are so fucking funny. <laughs> I know that's the one thing that's probably going to get me in trouble too, <laughs> but you, you like, you're so funny in your book and I want to see that happen. So I'm like, okay, I gotta know, like, are you doing this? Are you going to be somewhere? No, not right now. You can YouTube me and I'll, I'll be happy to send you the link, but where is my comedy? It's on my YouTube page, Sally Lou Loveman. But I, I, I have been talking about doing stand-up comedy for about 10, 12 years. And I will say the backstory of me even knowing that I wanted to be on a stage, I was a senior in college. I had just come back from Washington, D.C., where I took a journalism semester, learned about this internship in Chicago in television that I applied to as a senior in college. And when I got back, and I made that application to a place where I was like, Chicago, where's Chicago? I also I went to school in Pennsylvania. I also discovered that at our campus, I had been away a semester, an art center had been built. So the first musical production was about to be produced, whatever. First musical production. And it's called Chicago. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm going to try out. What's with this Chicago? Chicago, Chicago. So I tried out. I quit the field hockey team. I tried out. I got to the very last end. I had no business being on that stage. I'm not a singer or a dancer, except for that I love doing both, but I'm not talented. So I didn't get the part, but I loved being on a stage. And so because we had this art center, I took an improv class. And through that improv class, that improv class served me very well on the stage that I didn't know was waiting for me in Chicago. So I didn't get the musical. I just got the city. So anyway, as soon as I was on that stage auditioning for the musical, I knew I wanted to be on a stage somewhere. I just didn't know how. So it ended up being the Oprah Winfrey show stage, which was great. And then I'm like, I want to do stand-up comedy. And because Instagram is the way it is, it heard me talking. I had not Googled anything. And I saw a workshop two summers ago. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I did, I went to the workshop and through that workshop, I found out about a group called Femcom, Feminine Comic, and it's by women comics for women comics. So our teachers are, our one teacher is a woman comic. There are several, but mine is Alex Cuban, who's amazing. And I took a five week course with a bunch of other women who have never done it. Now they're all almost, you know, 20, 25. I was the old woman in the group besides one other, Maureen, who is hilarious. And we did it and we wrote our sketches and we did it. And then the end was our graduation night, week, week five, where we get on a stage and we do our tight five. And it was the most terrifying. <laughs> I've done it twice. I've done it twice. I've done level oh one God. and level two. There is no level three. Level three is just doing open mics, which I really, you know, I just don't know if I'll ever really do that. But I've done it a few times, but I don't know that I'll continue. Anyway, stand-up comedy is the single bravest thing I've ever done. And I did it not to become a stand-up comic. I did it to remind myself to be brave. I did it as a rebel, rebel, rebel moment, like I can do anything. And I really, it was just about proving 
that I could do it so that I could go back and do the things I already do well better, if that makes sense. It makes perfect but, sense. Yeah. And I, and I have, I've written my first, my husband and I went through a lot of marital problems. We're together, we're healing every day. But my first time I wrote a set was about what happened to us in our marriage. And I was in the backseat of our car on the way to Cleveland. We were going there for Thanksgiving. His family's from Cleveland, which I just think is funny in and of itself, writing it on my way to Cleveland. I don't know why. And I've never performed that set. And I don't know if I ever will because I have children, but it's fucking hilarious. I could probably have a Netflix special if I did it because it's the funniest. It's the funniest set I've ever heard. I've never done it, but it's really good content. And it would make you pee your pants, literally. Oh. Literally, literally. I'm so excited. Like I want that day to come where more and more of your comedy is in the world. So I'm putting that out into the universe on oh your behalf God. because- I would love that. I just enjoy every conversation. I feel like this is another arm of what you have, of your purpose and what you have to bring to the world because you are you are so funny and you are so real. And like I said at the beginning, like you're just relatable. You say it like it is. And there's also just, a, there's a vulnerability to what you put out there. And I know that's a lot of what you learned as you were going through your, your marital problems as well. And it's beautiful. Yeah, well, you're the same. That's why I am very attracted to you. I'm also very attracted to women who have strong relationships with their fathers. So I know yeah. that you do. How is your father, by the way? He's 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 recovering. Slow and steady right now. They're just they are healthy. They are staying put in their house. So they're staying safe, especially as Florida spikes again. So they're they're healthy. You know, his his recovery is slow, but we're lucky to have him. So yeah. Thank you for asking. I'm grateful. Your relationship is very cool. I love yeah. your relationship. I, I, I will say about, about the comedy thing. When I worked at the Oprah Winfrey show, it was like, you know, all I had to say was I work at Oprah. People were like, what, 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 what? I was, you know, the person in the room everyone wanted to talk to because I got tickets for people. We'd be at family events and my sisters are both very successful, but they want to talk to the sister that worked for Oprah. So that cool factor, like, you know what I'm talking about, Harley. So I learned that all of a sudden when I would tell people like, oh yeah, I'm doing stand-up, they leaned in. They're like, what, 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 what? It's like I suddenly became cooler. So there's something about being brave and doing things that people are terrified of that makes people want to know more. So if anyone wants to up their cool factor, first of all, totally do stand-up comedy, but do something that really is brave. And that is what will make everyone lean in and want to know more. Boom. That's not normal. And I'm going to end it's there. Normal. It's not normal. Well, in the most powerful way possible, right? Like let's remind <laughs> ourselves that we're alive. Let's lean into choosing courage over comfort. I love it. And I'm so, I'm so in awe that you're still, that you are, you're doing it. You're still leaning into that. You're still reinventing yourself and creating what is, could be a next chapter, just another, another piece of this. And thank you for sharing that with us. So where can people find you? Because I'm sure everyone want to gobble up some Sally Lou Loveman after this. <laughs> Sally Lou Loveman. You can find me on Instagram at live love speaks. I live there mostly. I have a private one too, so at Sally Lou Loveman, but I'm at Live Love Speaks, lovespeaks.com, where you can re, you know, find all about getting my book, which is also on Amazon, and my podcast, which is the Love Speaks series. So really all those places, you know, uh, anywhere. But I, I, I hope 
I, I want to think about, well, you, my comedy is definitely on my YouTube channel, which is also in my link tree in my Instagram. So that's where you can find me. We'll put a link to that as well. Cause I'm, I'm dying to go and watch some of it and just see a whole other side of you too. The two topics I talk about a lot, but one is when you start seeing your therapists and healers outside their office and inside your life, because that happens to me all the time. And that's one. And the other one is Spanx don't work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm totally on board with the Spanx don't work thing. All they do is give me another big sausage roll. And I'm like, oh, thank you. (laughs) Exactly. That doesn't work. I'm all about women supporting women, but this Spanx does not support me. It makes the rolls worse. It just moves them. Like that's my it problem. I'm like, them. well, wait, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, this doesn't work. I, lo- I love Sarah Blakely and everything that she's created. I love her as a human and an entrepreneur and a philanthropist and everything. But yeah, I got to say some of the stuff just doesn't work because it's basically just pushes it all up. And I'm like, it's well, hmm. redirecting and mol- <laughs> it's just like the role gets bigger. Okay, totally. (laughs) I need to experience that. I am so grateful that you spent this time with us today. This has been the absolute fun, like the the most fun conversation. And I knew it was going to be that. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. Sorry, I just got out of the shower. I I was totally messed up my time but your hair is cute and mine is not. Oh my gosh. My hair is up in a messy bun and I'm in an old Harley tee. For anybody who's listening to us and can't see what we look like, well, we just look like two ladies dishing it, which is the fun of it, right? In our badass glasses. So there in you- our glasses. Exactly. 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 That's, all the world, that's all the world needs to know and see. Yes. Thank you for joining me. And I cannot wait to continue and see you in person, my friend. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I know. I'm glad you came out the other side of the crazy COVID experience. And I can't wait to give you a big hug. And for everybody who stuck in there with us, I know this is a longer conversation, but man, this was so juicy and good. I hope you got some stuff out of it. And I can't wait until next time. Stay bold, brave, and badass. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at soulbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?